Good morning, friends. Today's message is what the world says versus what God says. It's based on Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45, where it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You know, nothing seems more natural than to hate people who've mistreated you. In fact, as someone recently said, everything the world says about human relationships is dead wrong. The world says, get even. God says, seek the good of those who have harmed you. The world says, get angry. God says, pray for them. The world says, don't waste time loving bad people. God says, love them anyway. So, friends, we need to pray for our enemies, and they need our prayers. See, if we don't pray for our enemies, who will? If we don't pray for our enemies, how will they ever change? If we don't pray for our enemies, how will we ever be free from bitterness? Every time we are faced with people who mistreat us, we have really about three options. One is we can hate them with total hatred, and that accomplishes nothing. Or two, we can struggle to hold back our anger, and that will eventually emotionally exhaust us. Or three, we can pray for God to bless them, and that opens the door for God to bless us as well. So, love your enemies. That's easy to say, isn't it? But it's really hard to do. So what does it mean to love the people who've ruined everything you hold dear? How do you pray for someone you despise? Or how do you seek the good of people you sometimes wish were dead? Why would you seek their prosperity after what they did to you? So how are we to love our enemies? Let me make six suggestions that I think might move us in the right direction. Number one is just simply greet them. And we often overlook this step. I mean, one part of loving our enemies is is speaking to them graciously when we see them. I mean, sometimes instead of turning the other cheek, we turn away so we don't have to say hello. I mean, some of us are pretty good at looking the other way or ducking into a room or crossing the street or using caller ID just to ignore people we don't like. But if we only greet our friends, what benefit is that? Do not even sinners greet each other? I mean, one part of loving your enemies is to greet them instead of avoiding them. Smile. Shake their hand. Say hello. It's a good first step. Second, disarm them. And that's what you do when you turn the other cheek or go the second mile. You disarm them by doing the very thing they least expect. You do it by speaking well of them when no one expects it. Confederate General Robert E. Lee was once asked his opinion of an officer who was widely known as one of Lee's greatest critics. The general responded that he thought the man was a very fine officer. But his questioner said, but General, I guess you don't know what he's been saying about you. To which Lee responded, oh, yes, I do. But I was asked my opinion of him, not his opinion of me. And third, do good to them. I find it fascinating that in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and verse 35, when Jesus said, love your enemies, both times he immediately added, do good to them, so we wouldn't miss the point. Doing good to your enemies means seeing beyond your pain and their meanness to their humanity. It means seeing them as people made in the image of God and understanding that there is something twisted inside that causes them to do what they do. See, doing good means doing what will promote their healing despite the way they have treated you. So make the first move. You send the email, pick up the phone, make the contact, bridge the gap, I mean, set up an appointment. 
But I know some of you are probably already thinking, but what if they don't respond well? Well, that doesn't matter. I mean, we're not in charge of how people respond to us. Make the first move and let the Lord take care of the results. Number four, refuse to speak evil of them. That's what Jesus meant when he said, bless those who curse you in Luke 6.28. It means you choose not to think evil thoughts and you refuse to speak evil words against those who have wronged you. Proverbs 18.21 has a great deal to say about the power of words. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Every time we open our mouth, life or death comes out. I am increasingly impressed with this thought. Forgiveness, in many cases, is not possible because we will not stop talking. See, as long as we talk over and over again about how others have hurt us, we will never find the strength to forgive them. At some point, we have to stop talking and start forgiving. Now, here's the simple truth. You can criticize or you can pray, but you can't do both at the same time. I mean, some of us need to take a vow of silence. I, I once visited with a man whose wife had been repeatedly and publicly criticized for something she had written. When I asked how she was handling it, he said, she's taken a vow of silence. In other words, she wouldn't speak to her critics because nothing she said would satisfy them, and she would not speak of her critics uh, of her good for the good of her own soul. Perhaps some of us need to take a vow of silence so we can let go of bitterness and get on with life. And number five, <clears throat> learn to thank God for these people. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, you must believe your enemies are sent to you by God's design and with God's approval. I mean, if Satan could not tempt Job without God's permission, and if Satan could not sift Peter without Jesus' permission, your enemies could not torment you without God's permission. I believe God places in your life every person you need for your spiritual growth. He'll send you a Saul, a David, an Esau, a Daniel, an Absalom, an Esther, Barnabas, also Timothy, and even a Judas. God uses each one of them to teach you something to make you more like Jesus. Let me ask you, who is your Judas? Strange question, isn't it? But you know, behind your enemy stands the hand of God. God would never permit it if he did not intend it to bring something good out of it. You should take a picture of your enemy, stick it on your refrigerator, and thank God for your enemy every time you look at the picture. Here's number six. Pray for them. When, part, when Pastor Martin Niemöller was arrested by the Nazis in Germany in World War II, he prayed daily from his prison cell for his captors. Other prisoners asked why he prayed for those who were his enemies. He, res, you know, he responded, do you know anyone who needs your prayers more than your enemies? But what if you hate the person you're praying for? I'll tell that to the Lord. He won't be surprised. Then say something like, Lord, I hate this person, but you already know that. I just ask you to love this person through me because I can't do it in my own power. I ask you for a love I don't have and can't begin to produce. Well, friends, God will not turn you away when you come with an honest heart, admitting you need his love to flow through you. And number seven, ask God to bless them. And here's a simple way to do that. When faced with someone who has mistreated you, ask God to do for them what you want God to do for you. Seek the blessing for them you want God to do for you. Just think of it this way. The greater the hurt, 
the greater the potential blessing that will come when we forgive from the heart and by God's grace bless those who curse us. Well, let me offer one final word. It's this. Your enemy is a gift from God to you. To say that is not to excuse evil or to condone mistreatment. It does not cancel the need for punishment when a crime has been committed. It is to say exactly what Joseph meant when he said to his brothers, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You might read that in Genesis chapter 50. Our enemies humble us. They keep us on our knees. They reveal our weaknesses, and they expose our desperate need for God. Just as David needed King Saul to pursue him, to persecute him, and repeatedly attempt to kill him, we need the enemies God sends to us. You know, if we didn't need them, he wouldn't send them. Therefore, we thank God who knows best, and we love our enemies the best way we can. Often God raises up an enemy to see if we really want to be like Jesus. He will keep our enemies alive and well as long as we need them. You know, Jesus had enemies. I mean, they hated him enough, they killed him, but he loved them anyway. The question is, do you want to be like Jesus? It was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who at the end of his sermon once said, there's a little tree planted on a little hill, and on that tree hangs the most influential person who ever came into this world. In the cross of Christ, the love of God has broken through into human history. See, now we know what love looks like in a world filled with hatred and distrust and bitterness and pain and mistreatment and abuse. There's an old hymn that we often sing. It says, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Friends, it's a message from God that love is the only way. It's the only way to heaven, and it's the only way to live on earth. If we believe in Jesus at all, we must say to our enemies, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. I mean, only Jesus says, love your enemies. Now it's time for us to do it as well. Heavenly Father, some of us desperately need this message right now. We're all going to need it soon because we live in a broken world. Give us grace to love our enemies. We'll never do this without you. We say in the words of an ancient prayer, where there is hatred, let us sow love. In Jesus' name, amen. Until next week, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.